Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And welcome to this combined worship service on Memorial Day weekend. It's good to see all of you in the Faith and Arts Center. We also know we have people who are traveling and joining us online as well. But it is good for God's people to join together in worship. Uh, Today we are culminating our spring worship series, Flawed Heroes. And we have spent the last six weeks exploring the Old Testament book of Judges. We've discovered that judges are not necessarily court officials adjudicating legal cases. That in Hebrew, judge also means leader. And Judges is a story of 12 warrior rulers who led Israel during times of national crisis. The last major judge was Samson. And last week we heard about Samson's strength... And today we're talking about Samson's weakness. And our scripture lesson comes from Judges chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night, and the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we might tie him up and subdue him. And each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Amen. Well, for those who were with us last week, you know that Samson never learned the Boy Scout law. He would never have been mistaken as somebody who was trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and certainly not reverent. He was the antithesis of those characteristics. And when you read the story, he is one of the most immoral, distasteful characters of the Bible. Other than his clairol perfect hair... Samson's main attribute was his physical strength. But that physical strength was not balanced by any spiritual or emotional maturity. He was childish, immature, impulsive, vengeful, violent, and that was on a really good day. Samson's strengths were few. Samson's weaknesses were many. But out of all the things he struggled with, one of them was the opposite sex. Which is ironic because Judges emphasizes the role of women in the Jewish faith. One of the twelve judges was Deborah, a prophetess. But when you read the story, you see that Samson constantly had problems with interpersonal relationships and most of his injuries were self-inflicted. I went over some of the lowlights of his life last week. It began when he was a young man, 
And he met a Philistine woman, and he insisted that his parents arrange a marriage. The Philistines are Israel's arch enemies. They are also non-Jews, which the Jews were forbidden to marry by the law. Didn't matter to Samson. He went through with the relationship, held a great feast to celebrate the wedding. And you know how things occur at a wedding reception. One thing led to another. He ended up killing 30 of the guests, abandoning his new bride, and it went from bad to worse after that. On another occasion, we've heard the story of how he spent the evening with a woman of less than stellar repute. And when his enemies discovered he was there, they surrounded the house to slay him the next morning, but he escaped in the middle of the night by tearing down the entire gateway of the city and carrying it out into the wilderness. And then there was Delilah. Delilah's name literally means flirtatious. And apparently she was pretty good at it because when she and Samson met, it was love or something akin to it at first sight. Judges never explicitly says Delilah was a Philistine, but most biblical scholars assume that she was a pagan. After all, Samson did have a type. And the leaders of the Philistines, the arch enemies of Israel, came to her and said, if you will betray him into our hands, we will give you each 1,100 shekels of silver. What you discover throughout human mythology and history is that every superhero has a fatal flaw. Achilles' mother was told to dip him in the river Styx and he would be invulnerable to harm. And when she did, she left his heel out of the water. Any comic book fan knows that green kryptonite will cripple Superman. And what Samson's weakness was is hinted at in his birth story. We saw last week, that is a story that repeats itself several times in Hebrew scripture, there's a Jewish couple who cannot have a child. And one day, an angel appears to the woman and foretells she will bear a son who will begin to deliver the Jews from the Philistines. And he is dedicated from birth to God's service. And Reverend Angela shared with the children in a G-rated form some of Samson's life and that he was to be a Nazarite. And there were three rules in Numbers chapter 6. He could not imbibe of alcoholic beverages. He could not touch a corpse because it would make him ritually unclean. And it was the third rule that ended up being his fatal flaw. He was not to cut his hair. One evening, Delilah just casually asked him, Please tell me what makes your strength so great and how someone could overcome you if they wanted to. We've seen Samson was not the brightest light in the chandelier. He was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But this question made even him suspicious. And so he looked into the eyes of the woman he loved and he lied. He said, if you take seven fresh bowstrings that have not been cured and you bind me with them, I will be as weak as any other person. He falls asleep, 
Delilah binds him with the bowstrings. She shouts, the Philistines are here, and he breaks the cords. Next night, what is it that will really make you weak? Well, it wasn't seven bowstrings. It's actually seven new ropes. That will do it. He falls asleep. She binds him with seven new ropes. The Philistines are here. He breaks the ropes and escapes. Third night, what will really weaken you? And he says, if you take cloth and braid it into my hair, we're getting dangerously close to the truth now. And so she does so, and he escapes yet again. And at this point, Delilah throws a fit. And she looks at Samson and says, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me three times now and have not told me what makes your strength so strong. You've got to admire this woman's audacity. She is fussing him out because he will not participate in her betrayal of him. And she nags him day and night. That's what the Bible says, until he grows weary unto death. And finally, in order to get her to be quiet, he tells her the truth. And he says, a razor has never touched my head, for I have been a Nazarite since my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, then my strength would leave me, and I would become weak like anyone else. And he falls asleep. And a barber sneaks in and cuts off the seven braids of his head, and the Philistines pounce upon him and arrest him. They gouge out his eyes. They take him to prison. They bind him with bronze shackles, and they put him to work like a draft animal, turning the grinding stone in the prison. And all seems to be lost. But then there's this line. But the hair of Samson's head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's easy to ridicule Samson. And I will admit, I've done my part over the last two weeks. I mean, you see the story of this romantic comedy that becomes a drama, a tragedy with Delilah. And he, it's easy to portray him as a, a one-dimensional action figure rather than a devoted judge of Israel. And you might think that his chest size might exceed his IQ. But last week we talked about Samson's strength. And what I suggested to you is that ultimately Samson's strength is actually God's strength. And God, not only in Samson, but in each of our lives, works in, through, and despite us. This week we focused more on Samson's weakness. And I want to suggest to you that Samson's weakness is our weakness also. That his story in some ways rings true of our own autobiographies as well. Because we are all creatures of heaven and earth, of spirit and world, of strength and of weakness. For those who are science fiction fans, you know that George Lucas, when he began the Star Wars franchise, created an entire theology to go along with it. And at the center of that theology was this thing called the Force, 
which was a field generated by every living thing in the universe that bound the cosmos together. And that the Jedi talked about the, the light side of the force and the dark side of the force with the recognition, and this part gets real New Testament, that the dividing line's not out there, it's in here. And when Darth Vader said to Luke Skywalker, give yourself to the dark side, every moviegoer understood exactly what he meant. To put it more theologically and scripturally, we are sinful people living in a fallen world who constantly wrestle and struggle with temptation. And every time in the Lord's Prayer we say, lead us not into temptation, I think to myself, yes, because we can find it quite well on our own. We wrestle with the temptations of the world about us. I quoted Paul a week or so ago from Romans chapter 7, verse 15. In the New Living Translation, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And that's a super apostle writing those words. We know what that is as well to know what we want to do, but to not do it. And the very thing we hate, we find ourselves doing. So this morning, I want to talk about how do we deal with our weaknesses? How do we partner with the Holy Spirit in able to grow, so that we're able to grow and to mature as Christians? The first step, I believe, is to name and claim our weaknesses. Psychotherapist of the past century, Carl Jung, talked about the four archetypes of the human personality. One of them was the shadow self, which reflects our hidden passions and desires and those weak places in our lives. Where's your weakness? Where do you struggle? We're all unique individuals made up of heredity, environment, and free will. What your strength is may well be my weakness. What my strength is may well be your weakness. Dr. Jorge Gonzalez was my academic advisor at Berry College, and he told the story about a monk who lived in the Egyptian desert. And one day, a demon was appointed to try to tempt him. And so he paraded before him wine, feasts, riches, houses, flocks of animals, and it didn't deter the holy man at all. But then a more experienced demon pushed the younger demon aside and said, watch this. And he leaned over and whispered into the monk's ear, your brother just became bishop in Alexandria. And the first glimmer of envy appeared in the holy man's eye. We're all tempted. We're just tempted in different ways. And if you're not sure where your weakness is and you're married, just ask your spouse. <laughs> or maybe ask these three questions. Number one, looking back into your past, in your own spiritual journey, where have you tripped and fallen over and over again? Those places where there were no trespassing signs and you ignored them and blew right through them. Second question, what is the one thing keeping you from becoming 
the son or daughter of God that the Lord made you to be? Third question, what is the one thing that is inhibiting your Christian witness and service to the world? You ask those three questions, I promise you the Holy Spirit will bring something to mind. We all have our weaknesses. They're different. Alcohol, drugs, illicit relationships, pornography, websites, materialism, envy, temper, language, gossip, laziness, procrastination. Name it and claim it. Secondly, chain and refrain from it. I am a big believer in boundaries. That we put boundaries in our lives to keep us from straying into areas that are not good for us. I'm not acrophobic. But I will tell you, if I get too far off the ground, it feels like I've got kittens squirming around in my stomach. Now, I want you to imagine going into a high-rise that's under construction, going up to the 30th floor, and stepping out on a balcony that does not have its railing put in yet. How close are you going to get to the edge? I'm going to be back in the kitchen. You put a railing up, though, people will walk right out onto that balcony to the very edge and lean against the railing. It makes my stomach queasy just to think about it. Boundaries are important. Guardrails keep people from driving off the road into a ravine where they're going to get hurt. Some of you with your, uh, your dogs at home may have those invisible fences. It's not because you don't like your pet, it's because you love them and want to keep them from harm. God places boundaries in our lives, that's what the law's for. And we partner with the Holy Spirit to figure out where is our weakness and then how do I create boundaries that keep me from straying into an area that will hurt me. Several months ago, I used a, a sermon illustration and realized I lost everybody who was under 50 years of age. I talked about the country western variety show, Hee Haw. And there was a recurring gag they had where a patient would walk into the doctor's office with an arm in a sling and say, Doctor, doctor, I broke my arm in three places. And the doctor would say, Stay out of those places. If you know where your weakness is, Create boundaries and stay out of those places. I recall when Bishop Lindsey Davis was overseeing the North Georgia Annual Conference, there was a season when several prominent pastors in our area left the ministry due, due to moral failure. And we gathered together at annual conference in the executive session, which were all clergy, and Bishop Davis addressed it pretty frankly. And he said, some of you are engaged in a secret sin that could ruin your ministry. Here's my advice. Stop it. And I heard at the time, Martha, and I thought, that's some of the weakest advice I've ever heard a bishop give. Stop it. And over the years, I've thought about that and thought about that. There's a lot of wisdom in those words. Because there are people in our congregation and in our community that are involved in secret sin that could ruin their lives, their family, their influence within the life of the church and within the broader community. Stop it. More importantly, and theologically, ask the Holy Spirit to intervene in your life.
because it is killing you spiritually and it's going to kill the relationships that you're involved in. Name it and claim it. Chain it and refrain from it. And then the third piece, I was trying to rhyme, it didn't work real well. I had reclaim it. Replace your weakness with strength. It always intrigued me, uh, the martial art of judo uses an opponent's momentum and weight against them. It is not necessarily offensive as much as it is defensive. And when I say reclaim it, make your weakness an area of strength. Make temptation something that leads you towards sanctification. Let me give a few practical examples. If you struggle with bitterness, there are some relationships in your life you can't get past, you cannot forgive, you cannot let go, and every time you think about it, your blood boils all over again. Every time that occurs, memorize a scripture that deals with forgiveness. Recite the phrase from the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, our debts, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass sin are indebted to us. And allow that every memory to drive you to scripture, to drive you to prayer. If you struggle with worry, anxiety, concern about the future, every time you do so, memorize a scripture, turn it into a prayer, placing your life into God's hands. If he cares for the flowers in the field, how much more will he care for us? If you deal with the spirit of complaining, every time you start to complain, instead allow that to become gratitude and stop yourself from complaining and think of something in your life you can say thank you to God for. And what is a weakness can be transformed into a strength. What is an occasion to tempt us into sin? Instead, we use the momentum of that moment to transform it into a holy act of discipleship. The fourth step is to renew. Everyone stumbles and falls. There is not a single Christian that makes it along our spiritual journey without messing up big time. And one of my favorite passages of the New Testament is 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And I like it for this reason. He's both prophet and priest in the same breath calling the church to the highest form of holiness and yet also recognizing the reality that we all stumble and fall. Listen to the words. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. There's the standard. That's the goal towards which we are striving to be made perfect in love in this world. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. In the very next breath, the pastor comes out in him and says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the atonement not only for our sin, but for the sin of the whole world. Do you hear both sides? Here's our goal. Here's the reality. Those who grow in faith are not those who never stumble and fall. Those who grow in faith are those who stumble, fall, allow the Holy Spirit to pick them up, brush them off, and set them on the path again to take the next step. That's how we grow. What's the weakness in your life? 
Are you ready for the Holy Spirit to do something to transform and change it so that you too can take that next step in life? You read the story of Samson, oh my goodness, it, it is such a roller coaster as you see how God uses him because of who he is, despite who he is, through who he is. And he hit rock bottom in those last pages of the story as he's arrested by the Philistines and he is blinded and he is treated as a draft animal. But his hair begins to grow again. And in the final moments of his life, he remembers who he is, calls upon strength one final time, tears down a temple with his own hands, and takes his enemies along with him. I realize that is not a fairy tale ending. Unless you read the original Brothers Grimm, then perhaps it is. But it is at least somewhat hopeful that at the last moment, Samson remembered who he was and whose he was. We all struggle with our weaknesses. And Samson certainly had never been introduced to the Boy Scout law. He was a flawed hero. But the reality is each one of us is a flawed hero too. There is so much good in the worst of us, and there's so much bad in the best of us that it ill behooves any of us to find fault with the rest of us. What's your weakness? Name it and claim it. Chain it and refrain from it. Reclaim that area of your life and allow God to renew who you are. Let us pray. Almighty God, hear the prayer of your children this day. We read the story of Samson, and in his story, we hear echoes of our own. You know the places where we struggle and oftentimes fall. Forgive us, we pray. Set the standard before us. Call us to holy, faithful living. But when we do sin, forgive us, stand us on our feet, brush us off, and enable us to take the next step, growing and maturing as the Holy Spirit conforms us to the very image of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, in whose name we make our prayer. Amen.